the reason we're here is because of you, Jesus. Without you, Lord, there is no hope, there's no faith, there's no eternal love, there's no growth. Lord, you are the one who creates the clean heart in us, Lord. Unless your seed and your word is part of us, Lord, refined within us, Lord, so that these gardens inside our hearts can bear fruit for you, Lord, so that as your love enters into our hearts, we can be those vessels of love for you, Lord, because you sow into us so that we may sow into others' lives, Heavenly Father. And we give you all the glory, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are chain-breaking, miracle-making, earth-shaking, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit comes and dwells amongst us this day, Lord, and let your word and your heart pierce through ours and convict us and refine us and let our ears hear what your Holy Spirit has to say, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory and all the praise because, Lord, the eternal hope and promises that wait for us, Lord, all the most precious gifts and treasures that you have for us, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will shine your light like a lens through your word of Scripture, Lord, so that we may not only understand the times that we live in, but firstly understand your design of who we are, our architecture, how you formed us, Lord, our identity in you, so that we can know our true authority and identity, Lord Jesus. We give you glory for who you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is the third part in our series of... Um, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And today we're going to look at seeds. And what is a seed and the architecture of seeds. And we'll see how far the Holy Spirit allows us to get. But this verse in, in John 12, for those of you who have your Bibles, please bring them along. Let's read His Word. Every single word is His seed. It's um, John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. He says these wonderful words. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Just these two verses. Now understanding from before what a seed is. And here John, well Jesus is actually saying. So today we're going to look at the process of seeds and what happens to a seed at harvest time. 
from death to life. And I know we can't all read the slide, but this this is this is God's recipe from death unto eternal life. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and the devil came to him in Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, Then the tempter came. It says, Since you are the Son of God, he said, Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One must not live on bread alone, but on every word coming out of the mouth of God. It is written. This is our biggest defense. With every circumstance that comes our way, the word of God is the sharp two-edged sword. This is the word, the seed, that brings victory and overcoming into our lives and those around us. So, our, I mean, I say this to people many times, is that our children, because of our obedience to the Lord and our relationship and our intimacy with God, we covenant our children to God every day. We place the protection over our children. We place the protection of the Lord and He will honor that. And every seed that was sown into their hearts as young children, God promises that He will give increase. And that is the covenant. Our children belong to the Lord. Okay. And so if we look at the wheat seed, the design of the wheat structure, and, and this is a flowchart process, but I want to give you some practicalities. This is how in the small details... Everything by design, not only in the Word of God, but in this beautiful creation around us. We can see on the outside of the wheat, we have the chaff, which is the husk on that wheat kernel, the seed. And many of us have read, you know, the wheat and the chaff, but let's just look at the seed. What is the chaff? And then... On the outside of the seed, we have the endosperm. Uh, so, or sorry, the bran, which is the husk. So that bran is like the outer, the fleshly seed. Okay, the endosperm is the food source for the embryo, the germ in the seed, and this food source is the Word of God. So we have the chaff, we have the bran, we have the Word, and we have the embryo, which is the spiritual inner man and woman, just in the simple structure of the seed. Many of us have heard this before, about the threshing floor. You know, we look at the book of Ruth, we look all throughout Scripture at harvest time, when the threshing floor, and they bring the wheat that has been chopped, and they bring it to the threshing floor. This is an example of, in the old time, what a threshing floor looked like. And that the oxen, they would just put on the wheat, and the oxen would walk around, 
in these stone circles. Stone ground. And this stone is Jesus. He is the rock not hewn by human hands. So in this circle, as the wheat was poured and the oxen would walk around, they would trample the wheat. And they would remove all the husk, all the external thing, and so that only what was left would be the seed. So this is what they look like. And this is a photo taken from Crete. And there are many of these still in existence. So here's a modern day depiction. So you have this circle and you have everyone throwing these piles of wheat onto a big pile and then the oxen would walk and trample the wheat. Jesus says that I am the bread of life in John chapter 6 verses 47 to 58. He says, truly I tell you with certainty The one who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that a person may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eat this bread, he will live forever. And the bread... I will give for life of the word of the world is my flesh. And then the Jews debated angrily with each other and saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus told them, I tell all of you with certainty, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, but I will raise him up to life on the last day, because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The person who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not the kind your ancestors ate. They died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. So this process, if we look at the first part of this column, we look at from the time of when we take the corn and the wheat, or the sheaf of wheat as it is called. At this current time, they are busy with counting the omer, which is uh, part of the festivals which we'll get into, what are the feasts of the Lord, but where they count for a period of, of seven weeks, of seven days, and up until the festival of Shavuot, which was Pentecost, which was the day the church was born. So it was 50 days after the beginning of the festival of first fruits. And Jesus resurrected from the dead on the first day of the festival of first fruits. Because in this time, the Jews, they would take a single sheaf of wheat 
And they would make it as a sheaf, as a wheat offering as unto the Lord. And they would do this for a period of 49 days. And then on the 50th day, they would then honor the harvest. And this was the day of Pentecost. Everything by design. So this wheat is harvested. It is then obviously dried out on the drying floors before they put it on the threshing floor. And then on the threshing floor, this is where the separation of the wheat grain and the chaff happens. So you end up with the pure seed. And this is where Jesus said that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, we must be born again. So born of the water of the womb, but we need to be born of the water of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is the life-giving bread that takes us from earthly death into eternal, spiritual, inner man and woman life. So if we look, so once we've made that decision, Lord, we accept you. Lord, make me born again of your Holy Spirit. I accept you. I confess, Lord, that I am a sinner. I repent before you, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. This is the first step with our spiritual journey. So if we look at once we get that seed, what happens to that seed? Now, in order to take the seed to get to the flower we that seed needs to be ground and in the old days that's what the windmills were for they used to have two stones and they would put the seed and this is the stone ground flower and they would make it fine so that they could have this flower and that flower would separate the husk which would be used for the brown bread and then the the, the inner kernel or the um, would be for like your white flour. So this, the fine wheat flour, there's a, um, a, a grain cleaning, there's a milling process, there's a grinding and a sifting. So the sifting, so you, you get the finer dust of the flour, which is for your white bread, and then you get your bran husk flour, which is used to make brown bread. But in this process, there's, there's a purification of, of this seed. And, it, and, and you end up with a fine wheat flour. And this is this life. So now we enter into a stage of life once the seed has now been totally refined. So one of the processes for seed is not only from within ourselves for nourishment and for being able to um, sustain ourselves, we also need to keep seed to plant for next year's harvest. So there's a duality there. So it's the internal, the feeding, the nourishment, but also keeping a store so that we can sow for next year's harvest. So that planting and sowing and the watering and the fertile soil, which will bring the reaping and the harvest for the next season. So this fine flower, 
And if we look at the, the process of making bread, it's all in the simple recipes of God, but we use it so practically. So we take this bread, we take the ingredients, we add the water, we add the salt, we, we add the yeast, and we start working it together, kneading it, stretching it, building the strength in that bread, releasing the gluten. You know, one of the things as a chef that, that, that we used to say, you, you'd know that the kneading of the bread is ready when you can take a piece of the bread and you could do what is called the window pane test. So you stretch it out and if it holds its strength and you can hold it up and shine it to the light and it doesn't tear, you know it's been kneaded enough. And if you stretch it like that and it breaks, you need to knead it some more. And that was just one of the simple tests as a as learning as a young chef. That was how we knew that that bread had developed the strength required. So once the bread is kneaded, then the bread needs to be proved. So the bread being proved, you know, it needs to be put somewhere in a warm place, not in the oven yet, just in a warm place, just to allow the yeast to convert those sugars and the carbohydrates into the alcohol which forms the bubbles which rises the bread. And because of the gluten its strength, it keeps its shape. And then this bread needs to go into the oven. And so it's got its strength and now it bakes in the oven. So, once that bread is baked, that smell, I mean, all of us remember the smell of baking bread. That fresh bread that is baked. Uh, it, it, it's so welcoming, it's so enticing. It, uh, it, there's nothing like freshly baked bread. And when it's so warm and just out of the oven, I mean, you slice it, you put the butter on and it just melts into it. It's beautiful. But this is what God does to us through this process. So yes, and this is the bread of life, which is the word of God, which in turn leads to the resurrection of the dead and eternal life and the celestial body. So this is what the, one of the promises of God is. In Psalm 1 verse 1, we go right back to the beginning of the Psalms. David understood this process. You know, he was a shepherd in the fields, he wasn't educated, he looked after the sheep, he was a herdsman. You know, he was the youngest of his brothers and he was left in the fields. But in this process, God taught him and showed him. And he, he writes in Psalms, he says, How blessed is the person who does not take advice of the wicked, who does not stand on the path with sinners and does not sit in the seat of mockers, but he delights in the Lord's instruction and he meditates in his instruction day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. He will prosper in everything he does. But this is not the case with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore the wicked will not escape judgment, nor will the sinners have a place in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. And this is that threshing floor. The righteous seed, the, the kernel, and the chaff. The separation process. David understood this. And refining in the chambers of our heart, the seed. So when it enters in, it's still got all that chaff and still got all that stuff. The external stuff, but it needs to go through the refining process. It's like a cow where they have four stomachs where they chew the cud. They first eat it and then they regurgitate it to chew it some more, to refine it some more. Then it goes into the next stomach and then it comes back and then they chew the cud again and refine. Four stomachs in a cow. Just in the simple things in his creation. You know, this is the four chambers of the heart. And this is what I was saying about the seed takes, it, it resides in the different chambers of the heart. So, we hear the word, which is the seed. It goes into our mind. It then must go into our heart, into our souls, restore and revive our souls, which gives us the strength and then pumps it out. If you remember this image from last week about discipleship, that coming into the mind, into the heart, becoming part of the heart, into the soul, reviving, giving eternal life, and giving us the strength. And this is God's process of discipleship. Because if we just stay, it goes from mind to our own mind, to our own self-will and self-strength. There's no strengthening. We cannot do it in our, on our own means. We cannot do it in our own fuel. So this is the course of true discipleship and false discipleship, or should I say, um, you know, the shallow. So if I just continue now, so with this bread and God gives the increase. We look at a, at a person and we look at our structure. The person has a heart, has a soul and a mind. So as I said last week, that the heart, the Greek word is, is, is kardos, which means a door or a hinge. This is where cardiology comes from. Also the cardinal points of the compass. Also the cardinals in the Roman Catholic Church, the priests, those guys in the red robes. But it means a door and a hinge. And this is the seat of physical life and emotions. So while our heart is still beating, we have life. Then we have... The soul, or the suke, which is the Greek word for soul. Now this is the deepest, deepest aspect of the person. And this is where the word psychology comes from. So it's the study of the soul. Ology, ologia in the Greek is the study thereof. So the study of the soul. And who better to study the soul than the creator of our soul himself, God. Man has no business in a standing and trying to provide remedy for the soul. The only way that our soul can be restored and revived is through this seed that God sows into us and the increase that He gives in our soul. And then we have our minds. In the Greek it's dianoia, which is our understanding and intelligence. 
being a Christian is not an intellectual exercise. It's not a process of applying our mind to something and saying, okay, this makes sense, everything's got its place, and okay, now it's all sequence. It needs to get into the heart to get so God can start working the soil, working his seed, refining his seed, so that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is the tri-unity that God is after. So if we look at, now we're going to look at, start looking at the architecture of a man. So it's in all these details that is simple. If we look at the body, you know, uh, we've got body, soul, and spirit. Now the body obviously has to deal with matter. This is tangible things, you know, things that we can touch, we can feel, we can hear, we can see, we can smell, we can taste. It's all the senses. And so this, this is our world consciousness, what we see and perceive and experience around us. And this is the physiological aspect of us. And this is how we relate to our environment and to others around us. Then if we look at our souls, this is our, our self-consciousness. And now we're getting into the mind, the will, and the emotions. So obviously the soul and the heart are very closely. I'll get to this now, exactly the design. So this is the psychological aspect, which is how we're relating with our emotions and our states to, to others and to God and our relationship with God. And then in our spirit is our God consciousness, which is our spiritual awareness, our spiritual sensitivity, our discernment, being able to discern what is, is from Him, what is not, um, our communication. I mean, it's, 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 this, this is like... Um, our hotline with God, our spirit communicates. Because as His Spirit, Holy Spirit, in the Greek there's actually three words that describes to be filled of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rests upon us and He seals us. He dwells around us and He lives within us. And this is the connection that is required. So it's on, around and within. And this is our spiritual understanding and our spiritual motivation. So it's our, our, our relationship with God. And as you know, with, with any relationship, it, it takes time. The amount of time that you spend with your partner or your beloved is the amount of time that they spend with you in the closeness and that intimacy. God wants to be in an intimate relationship with each one of us every single day every moment, every thought. And it's the same thing. So, and this is why God says, He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And what? He will give them the desires of their heart. So, one thing I just want to end on this is the, the, the architecture of Solomon's temple. Um, if we look at the architecture of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and we look at the architecture, the plans that were given to David of the temple, and how this lines up 
to the architecture and the design of man and woman. It is so incredible. Everything by design. You know, you obviously had the outer courts, which is the body, which is the flesh. Then, as you entered in to the inner courts, you had the consecration, you had the molten laver, you had the offering, uh, um, you know, you had all of these, the sweet savers, there was, I mean, but basically this is the point at which they started moving in and not only the priests would then be consecrated, but also the people would bring their offerings to the Lord. And, and, and this area is our souls. And then you had the two pillars, Boaz and Joachim. Now, now, Boaz in the Hebrew means in his strength, and Joachim in the Hebrew means he will establish. So it's this process of in his strength, he will establish. And this is the porch at the front of the temple. So you have the offerings, the consecration, and then you have the porch, which you, you have in his strength, he will establish. And this is, this is the point, it, it, I suppose this is the decision-making part. This is where the willpower comes in. It's like you accept it or you reject it. You either stand at the door or you go inside the door. And so, and around this temple structure, you had all the, the, the chambers that the priests would keep all, all of their belongings, all of their personal stuff, and they would keep them all in these chambers. And they actually, you know, it, it actually says in the scripture that the priests used to hide their idols in these chambers. This is our subconscious. And so, you know, it's not about what is out in the open. It's what is hidden as well. It's all of us. And the Lord wants all of us. Everything and nothing less. And so as we make the decision to open the door, to enter into the temple, we open the doors of our hearts to Him. The, the handle is inside. So we open it. And we welcome Him in. So this is now getting to the heart. So in here, I mean they had all the instruments of worship I mean, you had the menorah, you know, and this is, you know, we can go into a whole study on this, but if we look at the seven I am statements of Jesus from the book of John, every single one of them points to the instruments of worship. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every single one of them points into this heart of the temple. And this is where the priests would perform their duties. Now, in the Holy of Holies, the priest was only allowed one time a year on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And this was when he would take the offerings and the blood of the peop of, of the sacrifices and, and the blood of that and then lay it on the beamer seat, the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant, get this, 
had the tablets of the law of God and what? The hidden manna, the bread of heaven, the angel's food that God fed them on. And then the beamer seed with the cherubim with their wings over the top of it. And the priest would then pour and place the blood on the offering. But this place was such a holy place. It was only allowed one time a year that the priest would go in after much preparation. And they actually used to tie a cord to the priest's ankle. Such was the power of the glory of God that many times the priest would pass out would fall over, they'd have to drag him out of that place. And this is the most beautiful thing under the new covenant with God is, and with Jesus. He says the book of Hebrews deals at great lengths about this. And this is what is being referred to because there was a veil that was there by the Holy of Holies and when Jesus died and he, and he gave his last breath, the veil was torn from top to bottom from the temple. And in Hebrews he talks about how the veil has been torn. That we now have a, a better covenant. We have a new covenant. That this veil has been torn so that we may boldly enter into the throne room of grace. That we may boldly come because we have a high priest and a king in the order of Melchizedek who mediates and intercedes on our behalf. And his blood has become the propitiation of our sins on the beamer, on the mercy seat. And this is why Paul says that we are the temple of God. So taking the prototype, looking at the architecture, and looking at who we are in Christ through this veil. So, thank you. That's correct. If 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 uh, I couldn't, yeah. but it's basically there, just underneath the ark, and that purple, that that was the veil that was torn. But this is is what's so incredible is, as I said, not in the design only the design of nature, but in God's plans for the temple. So, as I say, this here is the door of the heart. You know, and this is Jesus saying, I'm the door to the sheep. You know, we had um, the shortbread, we had the, uh, the, the, the censers, the incense, we had the, um, the lampstands, and then that part there, this is the veil that was torn. Because to enter into the Holy of Holies, as I said, was a yearly thing for the Jews. But us as Christians... We can enter this place because of Jesus. He's the one who is is given us the way. He's reconciled us back to this relationship with God, and no longer are there required, you know, animal sacrifices and and that and offerings to the Lord. But Paul says in in Romans twelve, 
verses 1 and 2. He says, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices so that we might be renewed and transformed to prove what the perfect will and plan of God is for our lives. So it's as we offer a, a living sacrifice, He's been the sacrifice, but our bodies, we, we, we offer to Him to provide that. And then He restores us, He revives us, and it's His blood, and it's His bread that covers us, and nourishes us, and grows us. So this inner man and woman we can reach, and this connection, so that we may branch out and bear fruit for God. So simple, isn't it? Yeah, of course. They where the subconscious, the holy place. Yeah. That's where you said the, um, they put their idols. That's correct. What was that? Was it, was it walls? What was their entrance into the... What was that? You see, around the temple, there was basically the priest's chambers. Okay, so it was chambers. So it was I could enter. Were they able to enter? No, 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 no. Um, that, no, it was only through the porch and through the front door of the temple could you enter but this was where they would keep all of the because obviously they all their robes and all their um, you know their instruments of worship they were kept in the chambers and then obviously you know um, we could get into those scriptures if you'd like and but it basically yeah you know, says that this is where the priests would keep their idols no, they go around the side, prepare themselves, then they'd have to go through a consecration process. And this is where the molten lava is, where the, where the, where the priests would have to cleanse themselves in the, bro, uh, the bronze uh, molten lava. And then they had five um, on each side um, altars where the different sacrifices, and depending on what kind of sacrifices they were, that was, would be, it would be lambs or... or you know, or, or doves, or you know, the, it's all in Leviticus. But basically, the process is the, the priest arrived because the, the priesthood in, in the Hebrew times and at the time of Jesus, they had what, was, what were, were 24 courses, which were 24 cycles of duty. So, you know, they would be on duty, there would be a 24 period, and they would just repeat itself. So they, that was their, their shifts, if you want to call it that. Like a yeah, their roster, that's exactly it. And um, so, so hence, this is quite interesting, this is also an allusion to the 24 elders in Revelation. But we'll, we'll get to this. But there, there were 24 courses of the priests, and um, they had a roster that they would perform. They would arrive for duties, they would get into their, their garments, but first they'd have to go through the consecration process every single time. And then they would perform their duties and minister to the congregations and meet the needs, yeah? And one would be amazed that somebody that was involved in all of this would actually have idols, hidden idols, um, being so close to that. But if I think about it, um, an idol, when we think of idols in this sense, it's like statues and things that they 
but idols in our lives or the things that separate us from God. So that could be what you spend your time on and uh, what is more important to you than the things of the Lord. Exactly. So to them, their idols, when I say, was it, was it like statues and other gods or uh, what do you... What was idols? In, in, in Ezekiel it describes that they, they would actually, we would have their idols. And if you look at the cultures that were around, and you look at the practices that were around, whether they were amulets or trinkets or things like that, some of them were graven images, some of them were shapes, some of them were symbols. Um, but yes, in the spiritual sense you are quite right. Uh, an idol is, is something... That, that really stands in the way of our intimate relationship with God and that, that is more important to us than our relationship with Him. Because one wants to say, how could they? Well, they, they did. do it. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we all do. And this is the process. And this is why we need to go through the threshing floor and the refining and the kneading. And it's a continuous process. Nobody is perfect. I started this series with 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. It says so that all scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable for what? For doctrine, which is sound doctrine, what the Bible says. For reproof, which means, you know, let's just, you know, hey, you're actually not behaving correctly here. Let's just correct you biblically. For biblical correction, so for reproof is being biblical conviction. Um, for correction is about biblical correction and discipline because in the Proverbs and in the book of Hebrews it actually says a father chastens his child because he loves him and, and, and this is God's love and it's his word, not ours so we accept his word and then it also says that it is to teach a man or woman of God in an instruction in righteousness and so that we may be what? Perfected, which is a continuous process. Not one person in the history of humanity will ever reach that stage in this fleshly body of perfection. It was only Jesus. And then we'll be furnished to perform the works of God. So the furnishing of the house, as I discussed, is now adding all the coloring and the decor and everything like that. And that's part of us as the body of Christ. We are the furnishings to the world that we will show this love and this light from this house that is built by His hands. Yeah, there's no shortcuts. This is God's recipe. 
No, I don't, I, I don't like it either, really. So it's not fun. When we're going through those times, we should be thanking God that He's busy purifying us. Correct. Yeah, sure. Correct. But just in this process, as I say, how we can use everyday things. Because, you know, I mean, um, let's pray for our country. Pray for our homes, let's pray for our families, our children, pray for God's hand in everything we do. And it's just communal prayer, it's, if you feel that today, let's just pray together. Thank you, Lord, that your plan is forever settled. Your word is forever settled, Father God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would not withdraw your hand from this country, Lord. You know, we read many times in the scripture of the different kinds of judgments, the famine, the droughts, the pestilence, the war, that has happened to your people, Lord. But please, Lord, do not let us be stuck in a Samson judgment. Do not abandon this country, Lord Jesus. Do not take your hand. As long as there are praying people in this country, Lord, keep your hand upon this nation, Lord. As Abraham pleaded with you, if there be fifty righteous men and women, do not destroy the city, Lord. So, Heavenly Father, this is the prayer that we utter for our nation this day, Lord. Lord, you are, you are the God who can change the hearts of kings. You can move nations. You can move mountains as a plain. You can flatten them. Lord, your will be done in this nation, Lord. And keep us humble. And let us be able to stand firm. And not step back, Lord. When the world comes with all trials and tribulations, Father, but rather we stand firm, not giving an inch to the enemy, not giving a foothold, Lord, because your authority and your victory, Lord Jesus, is for all eternity, Lord. And Lord, you rebuke the plans of the enemy against this nation, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would surround your people, you would strengthen your people and draw them into the heart of prayer with you. That as we pray for this nation and the salvation and the preservation, Lord, that you would remain and that, Lord, you would raise up righteous men and women in our homes and our families, Lord. Because it starts in our homes, Lord. I pray, Lord, that people would be hungry to read your word, to know more about you, to grow in a deeper and more understanding, intimate relationship with you, Lord. And then in our communities, Lord, raise up those righteous leaders as well so our communities will too be righteous. And in our churches, in our towns and our governments, Lord, 
as it spreads out, as you said your gospel starts first in the home, and then it spreads out through Judea, Samaria, to the rest of the world, Lord. So Lord, let your spirit and your light shine and cover this nation, cover our homes, protect us, Lord. Father God, we bring all the families before you, where there are prodigal sons and daughters. Lord, we just pray for those mothers and fathers. We thank you that you are positive and strengthen them, and you enable them to persevere in their prayer. Lord, I just pray that you give them encouragement and bring particularly genuine you see their hearts, you see their desires for their children. Thank you, Lord, that Craig is a living testimony to your faithfulness, your grace, and your greatness. Thank you that you answered our prayers. And I trust and believe too, Lord, that you will answer the prayers of those who diligently seek you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy and grace and great love and compassion. Thank you that in your word you gave us the example of the prodigal son to encourage us, Lord, because you understood the nature of man. And you knew that as parents we would need that encouragement, something to hold on to, to believe in. Thank you that you enlarged the face of all those praying for their children. Lord, we thank you that you. It is not your desire that any one of them should perish, but that they should come to believe in faith in you, into salvation and eternal life. So thank you, Lord, that you will speak to these children, that you will open their ears and their hearts and they will hear your voice calling to them. Thank you that these lost sheep will be found and will be returned to them. In the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. They will love you and serve you because of your great mercy and your great compassion and love for them. Thank you that you love them more, even more than their parents love them. And you care about them. Thank you, Father God, for the many words of praise, not only the hours, but the many words of praise that mothers and fathers who have there is power in prayer, Lord. Help us to remember it. Keep us on our knees. So that in prayer we draw closer to you and we receive comfort from you and we receive wisdom and guidance and direction. Thank you that you guide our prayers. That you help us, your Holy Spirit guides us to know what we need to pray for. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. We just give you all the thanks and all the honor and all the glory for what you are about to do in the children's lives of these families that are Thank you, Jesus.
this world and I pray for a, a new awakening in the hearts of your children, Lord, that so many of your children are in a slumber, that they think they're okay, but there's no fire. I pray, Lord, that you stoke that fire so that they can enter into your completeness that what, of what you have for your children, Lord. That it is just, it's not just a place of coming into a, where you just say by your mouth that you give your life to Jesus, but there's no fruit and there's no walking and there's no... That people start walking what they talk, Lord. Get out of the comfort zone. And Lord, as I think a lot of people don't quite hear your commands of loving God with all their hearts and their neighbors like themselves, that you actually put themselves before the neighbors. You have to learn to love yourself, but that you also become to have an intolerance for your own sins, Lord, that you can clean us up so that we can fill up others. So that we can love our neighbors fully because we love ourselves so much that we are able to give up the sins and the secret sins and the little idols that we hold into those secret places, Lord, that we can go, let go of that completely. And I, I ask you, Lord, in your mercy to waken up your people from their slumber. I ask that in the name of Jesus so that we can live to know what it is that Jesus died for, for us, Lord. I ask that in your holy name, and I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, that we have a Father that we can come into, the Holy of Holies, because of that what Jesus did for us, Lord. A price to pay the blood of Him, so that we can come in front of you to pray for all these things, Lord. We bless you, and we honor you, and we praise you all the day long. In Jesus' name, we say thank you. And forgive us, Lord, there where we still need to give over, Lord, that we don't get comfortable in those little tiny dark places, that we come out to the light and give everything and lay everything before your feet. As you say in your word, you seek the hearts, you know everything in our hearts, Lord. There's no hiding from you. You know what needs to be emptied out and cleaned, Lord. We put our hearts before you and the whole of the body of Christ, your church, Lord, everyone, that they awaken, that it's not just a Sunday morning and you're fine. You need to walk. You need to talk. You need, we need to spread the word, Lord, you said, in every nation, in every corner, in every tribe, there will be sheep that will answer to your voice. But somebody needs to say, someone needs to call on your behalf through your word. We just need to say, listen, call the sheep so that they can come to your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. And I want to thank you, Lord, for what Craig is opening up here, Lord. It's, it's, I've spent a lot of time in the word, but this is all new to me, and that is just amazing that... Every day there's something new, and then I realize that my body and my heart, Lord, is so sacred to you that it is your temple. I've, I've read it a lot that I am your temple, but only now do I realize how it is all put together and how amazing it is, and I want to praise you, Lord, that everything is so thought, so well constructed, so well designed by you, so perfectly designed, and 
and I ask for forgiveness for not paying attention to my body as I should and not honouring it as your temple in the right way. How intricate it is, Lord. I thank you for opening that up and using prayer to do that, Lord. I bless him and I thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, I thank you. And I just want to thank you for all the research and the time that you have spent with prayer. Lord, he's opening up our minds and our hearts. And I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for that. Lord, just listen in abundance. Because as you bless him, he blesses us. And I say thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this time that you could spend in your presence. We thank you for inspiring Craig and for using him as a vehicle to pass on your words and to explain your word to us. We ask that you will bless it as it takes root in our hearts and our minds and as we live out what you have placed in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we can spend also thanking you for what you have done for each of us and for in our families. And we do ask that you will see fit to bless our families, those with their family members who have drifted away. We do pray that you, dear Lord, in your grace and mercy, will corral them and bring them back to your fold. Part us now with your blessing.